One of the things that I really like to do, I told you a couple weeks ago, I love to people watch. But especially around Christmas time, I like to watch the kids open up their gifts. Now, it's always easy to tell when a child opens up a gift that they're excited about. It's the one that they've been saying, they've been like circling in the magazines or telling you that they, hey, dad, you're in Walmart or whatever. And they're like, hey, dad, can I get that in June? And you're like, Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> and they open it up and they see the, the Red Rider BB gun or the remote control car or the bike that they've wanted. All excitement, all the excitement of the holiday season boiled into just a couple moments of unwrapping a gift. The other children that I like to watch, usually on videos, and it's usually something that Jimmy Kimmel does with his sick stuff that he likes to do on his show. You know, like, you know, when he has the parents tell the kids that they ate all their Halloween candy? That's not cool, dude. But uh, I like to watch the videos of the kids that open up the gifts that they didn't want. You know, kids can't help but to tell the truth. And so when they open up the gift that they didn't want in their face, the disappointment. Now, maybe your kids have the wherewithal to keep it all together and, and not show the extreme disappointment of grandma getting them underwear again. But sometimes the kids just lose it. They start to cry and they, I don't know, they say, I didn't want this for Christmas. And then, you know, any good parent just smacks them in the back of the head and says, go to your room. But I like watching them in videos because if I'm watching them in videos, that means they're not my kids. They're probably yours. <laughs> and so I'm going to, uh, I'll stay tuned for your videos. The problem that we have in that moment is that the kids have this huge expectation of what should happen when they tear back the paper or open up the box. For them, it's not about the holiday season. It's not about the family. It's about gifts. And at some point in all of our lives, Christmas was just all about the presents. And so we can't blame the kids for that. But, but the point I want to make about this is that for the kids, it's more about the gift than it is the person who gave the gift. The children, I mean, when you're focused on the gift, so I'm going to talk not so much about kids now, but I'm going to start to bring us into it. When we focus more on the gift than the one who gives the gifts, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. And I think this Christmas scene really does describe a lot of Christians and our prayer life. See, prayer is way more than the act of praying itself. It's way more than a religion. It's more than just about receiving. It's more than a duty to be done every day. It's not about guilt that I have to do this or I'm going to feel bad. Last week, we started this series called Fighting Words. And we talked about how we're going to use, um, use prayer as our weapon, and we talked about getting into the fight. We, we used um, Jesus' model prayer to talk about how God is the king. And, and our desire as living in the kingdom is for his kingdom to come. And his will be done in Jacksonville and on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about how Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. You can catch up uh, with that later on, on the podcast. But... Um, but, but here's a question that I, I want to launch us off with this morning. What do we do when we don't know what to do? 
when it comes to prayer. What do, what do we do when our prayer life has become stale? Or worse, even non-existent. Usually the deterioration of our prayer life is a symptom that we have lost sight of the relationship of the gift giver and are only focusing on the results. Uh, This morning, I think for us as a church body and as Christ followers, we have really got to understand that we have got to value the relationship over the religion of prayer. So if one thing, you, if, if you can remember this, this will totally help you in prayer, and then we'll jump right into the scripture, is prayer is about the who. It is not about the what. Prayer is about the who. It is not about the what. And that is exactly what we're going to uncover this morning in, an, in a popular Old Testament uh, story. So if you, if you need a Bible, we've got some volunteers. They would love to, to give you a Bible. Um, you can use uh, your Bible or one of these Bibles if you don't have one. Uh, if, if you want one of these Bibles, we'd love for you to have one. Keep that, write your name in it, highlight in it. Um, just use it to grow in God's Word. Um, use your Bible. Use uh, the Restore Church app. Under the bulletin section, you can see all of our announcements. You can see the songs that we've been singing throughout this whole series. Um, and you can see my sermon notes. Uh, if you have the Version Bible app, under the live event section, you can search uh, restore it, and you'll see it there. And, and of course, all the scripture is going to be on the screen. Um, you might be getting tired of me saying this, but I don't care. You cannot take these screens home. And so, man, if you're going to leave with anything, just know this. you got to have God's word uh, in your life daily and regularly to grow closer to him. And so the Bible or your tablet or your phone will work fine. You're going to uh, find 1 Kings. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's in what we call the clean pages. The, the New Testament seems to be the dirty pages because that's where we spend most of our time. The Old Testament uh, seems to be the clean pages. First Kings chapter 18, and we're in this really uh, unpleasant time in the nation of Israel. These are God's people. And God uses Elijah to go and tell them about this punishment. There's going to be famine all across. There will be no rain. And so Elijah is the bad guy. And so King Ahab sends a search party to go find Elijah, the prophet of God, because we are going to kill Elijah. Well, God comes to Elijah and he sends him back. He says, I want you to go to King Ahab. Now, Ahab, like this is the death sentence. You know, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is sending Elijah right into it. And once they finally have this meeting, like there's these there's these multiple gods that all these other people worship. But, but the thing about the Hebrew people and the Jewish people is they worship the one God. And for the, the polytheistic world, they had a God for everything. They had a God for the weather, Baal. They had a God for the sun and the rain. And so, and then, of course, our God rules it all and created all of it. And so Elijah says, hey, here's the deal. How about this? We bring all of Israel up, and we're going to put on a show. You get all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah, and and you get a bull. And and you put them on the altar. Do whatever you have to do. Prepare however you would like. They cut them into pieces. They put the bull on the altar. And, And Elijah says, and I'll do the same thing. I'll have a bull, and I'll put him on the altar. And whoever's God, whoever's 
Whoever's God? Is that who's ever God? Whichever God demonstrates themselves, all the people of Israel will worship. And so the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they start to march around this bull. They're trying to call on to their gods. They're singing, they're chanting, they're dancing. They're cutting themselves, and nothing's happening. And Elijah is loving it. He's like, hey, where's your God? Is he asleep? Is he just busy? Um, He's obviously not paying attention to you, so where is he? And finally, it becomes time for Elijah. And Elijah sends some people around him, and he says, all right, look, the idea is that this fire is going to come consume this bull. And so he sends uh, some servants to go get water. Three times he sends them to get water, to drench over the bull, and it runs down the bull and the altar, and even into the trench that they dug around. Like, there's so much water that has poured off. And he starts to cry out to God, and he begs God to show up in a, in a moment of desperate prayer. And, of course, God does. He sends a consuming fire that, that swallows up the bull, but, but so much so that it even, the Bible says, it soaks up all the water around. And so the result of this should be a celebration. It should be a worship service because the stakes were that all the people of Israel were now to worship whichever God showed up. But that's not what happened. Instead, King Ahab and Jezebel, they send the prophets and they say, go kill Elijah. And so Elijah runs, he flees. In what should have been a moment of celebration, he should be like lifted on people's shoulders, that he should be the hero. He's running. Now, um, let's, let's read. Um, this is where we find him in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba uh, in Judah, he left his servants there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom brush and sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. One thing I love about the Bible, it is unapologetic about the realness of its characters. And we see Elijah right here. He had expectations. I mean, he had to. What a public, I mean, what an awesome display of faith. What an awesome display of God. I'm leaning on you as opposed to these 950 other prophets who could kill me at any moment right now. God, I am relying on you. And God shows up and, and, and then this He has to run for his life, and he says, God, just take it. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up. And ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Um, um, Elijah, 
He felt after this huge display of faithfulness, right, that God would reward him. There's some expectations of what should be the gift, of what he should be opening up. But instead, he finds himself running and fleeing. In verse 9, he says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. The Bible tells us that he runs to Mount Horeb. He reaches Horeb, the, the mountain of God. I mean, God is really surprised by this. We'll see this in a, in a couple minutes. But what's special about Mount Horeb is it's also known as Mount Sinai. Now, why is that important? I mean, remember where God gives Moses the, the Ten Commandments? It's like the most special place for the Jewish people. It's at the top of this this like God-ordained special place that Moses had with God. And so Elijah, for, he flees for 40 days, 40 nights, and finally he gets there. I mean, this wasn't a quick trip. This was a trip that he labored over. Um, and then this, this is the passage that we're, gonna, we're really going to study. Let, let's keep reading the second half of verse 9 together. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, Israel, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, ready to encounter God. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, uh, from Abel, Maholaha, the, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Um, if, you're, um, if you've just found out you're pregnant, there are plenty of names in there to pull from. If you're looking for a baby book, uh, 1 Kings 19 would be a great spot. Uh, man, that, there's a lot there, but, but there's one thing I don't want you to miss. Whenever you're reading Scripture and you see something repeated, there's a reason. Two times God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? 
He doesn't ask Elijah, what are you doing? He says, what are you doing here? Why are you at Mount Horeb, Elijah? Why are you at Mount Sinai, Elijah? This is Moses' spot. This is where Moses came to meet with me. Why not your own? Why, why are you here? Isn't that something we usually revert to? If, if you know, Elijah has this moment with God and, and he reverts back to what he knows worked for other people. This describes a lot of our prayer lives. For most Christians, this is a great image of how our prayer lives look. For a lot of our lives, it's been a book of recited prayers. It's been memorized prayers that we say because we did this or we're going to do that or because this happened. For a lot of us, our prayer lives are the same words over and over and over. Not that that's the worst thing in the world, but that can be the case. All too often, I also uh, run, into, uh, run into this, is our faith is our parents' faith or our grandparents' faith. Maybe for some of us, our faith and our prayer life is our spouse's faith or our, our spouse's prayer life. Look, if we're going to seek God in a deep and powerful relationship, if we're going to use prayer as our fighting words, we can't fall back on religion. We can't fall back on our parents, our grandparents' prayer life. We can't run to Moses' mountain. Like if you're going to have, if we're going to seek relationship over religion, it's got to be ours and our own. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how to develop a real relationship. The first thing that you have to do, I know that it seems obvious, is you got to talk. right? We need words. I love attention. You know that. Um, I love to make people laugh. And, and this, this started at a very early age, like three days old. And so in the fifth grade was my first experience in a talent show. And, and I, I, I had very little talent then. I have even less now. But one thing that I knew I could do was make everybody laugh. And so here's what I signed up to do. I signed up to sing. The popular hit by Shania Twain, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. But... The joke was going to be on everybody else because I wasn't really going to sing. I was going to do this lip sync uh, dance to it. And I was going to have everyone rolling. But what I wrote down was singing. And my teacher then tells me, because it was in music class, my teacher told me, no, you have to sing. And I was like, but I didn't want to sing. But you wrote down singing. And I was like, okay, here goes nothing. When you lip sync a song, you don't have to know the words right? Especially when you're just trying to make everybody laugh. When you're singing, you do. And uh, I made it about 15 seconds into the song before my teacher shut the music off, made me go sit down, because I didn't know the words. <laughs> uh, and, oh man, what a blow to my fifth grade confidence. I got it back in like a day, so don't worry about me. I'm okay. But uh, we need words. We need words. 
Elijah certainly had words for God. You see it twice. He says the exact same thing to God. He had real, authentic words. God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live. Take my life. I mean, we see the reality. You know, we talk a lot about desperate prayers, and we see Elijah crying out because this is not what life should be for a prophet of God. Doesn't it seem obvious that that we have to have uh, a relationship. you, you got to talk to someone in, re- in your relationship. And it's not just when you want something that you talk to them, but you talk to them all the time. Ever been on an awkward first date uh, after getting to know each other about where you're from or, uh, or you know, what's your favorite, whatever, the conversation laws, and neither one of you know what to say to begin a new conversation? For some of us in our relationship with God, it's very easy to talk to him when things are good. When things are going well, it's so great to, to go to him and worship him. God, you, you are so good. But when things get hard, we forget and we revert back to us. For others of us, it's the opposite. We find it easier to talk to God when things are hard. We come to him begging for him to help us, to save us, just to get through this pay cycle. Can you imagine a relationship where you only talk when things are good? And when things are bad, you just ignore one another, revert to your own strength. Or can you imagine a relationship where you only talk when things are bad? And when things are good, you just... Pass one another. You just move on with your life. And I know this, that there are times in our lives when we're talking about words and having words and praying. You ever found yourself not having them? Just not having words at all. There are probably a couple reasons that you've experienced that in your life. There have been times in my life and probably in yours, when tragedy has struck or, or you've just hit such a personal depth where you don't know what to say to God. Maybe you've felt so guilty or, or so stricken with sin that you didn't feel like it was appropriate or, or you didn't feel like God even really wanted to hear from you. So there were no words that you could muster. There were no words that you could come up with. Hey, I want to give you some good news You don't have to. Romans chapter 8 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but, but the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Isn't that good news? In grief and in tragedy, in loss, in depression, in, in moments of Elijah, the Holy Spirit is interceding with God for you. And there are other times when, we're, when we go to pray. Maybe you're new to this whole Christian faith or new to this whole prayer thing and, and you just don't know how to. Um, there have been friends of mine uh, here at Restore. They, they come along, they accept Jesus, and then one of the first questions is, how do I pray? And you may, you may have come from a background where 
uh, where it's recited, you know, it's, it's repetition. And, and then you come to our church and you're like, this is the farthest thing from what I've ever known to be church. Hey, I, w- I want to give you some really helpful ways to pray. Um, this is, these are some things that, some tools that I fall back on. These are some th- things that help me ignite my prayer life when it's growing stale. The, the first one is, or the first two are just acronyms. The first one is ACTS, um, adoration. So seriously, I, I know this might seem silly because it's an acronym and it's like, you know, kind of childish. Look, look if, if you spend time on this, if, if this is your prayer life, um, it will get better. Your relationship with God will grow immediately. And so, uh, Acts, adoration. God, this is what I adore about you. This is why you are you and I am not. Um, see his confession. Uh, man, what do you have to confess to God? What do you have to get out there in the open? Uh, T is thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? And S is supplication. What do you need? What do you need from God? Uh, then the next one is what I teach to, to kids or to teenagers. It's SALT. Uh, it's an acronym for SALT. Uh, it's kind of the same gist. Uh, I'm sorry. It's what I ask for. God, I love you. And God, thank you. Then The next one is kind of a mature step. I'm not good at this because I'm not disciplined enough for, for this. Uh, I just have a hard time sitting and writing, but I know that this works for a lot of people. Is just to journal, to write your prayers uh, in a notebook. And some of the most powerful things that, that I've seen is when you're praying for something in, in February. Uh, and then, you know, it's November and you're flipping through your prayer, prayer journal. And then you see that God answered a prayer from you from earlier this year. Or you're flipping through old ones and you see that God faithfully shown himself from years past in a prayer journal. And so maybe those things will help you as you try to value your relationship of religion. Here's the second thing you need for a relationship is time. Time. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, a lot, a lot, this is the Lord saying this to Elijah. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. We've got to make time. We, we have to seek the presence of God. A lot of our prayer lives are like an ATM machine. We have the right card, so we walk up to this ATM machine, we put it in, we push in the secret code or our secret words, and then we want God to spit back, you know, some dollar dollar bills, y'all. It's like this, this formula that we have, and, and we'll, just, we'll just get it. That's seeking the gift, not the giver. I'm going to confess to you of the things that we're going to talk about today. This is the hardest one I have. Because I live in a culture, and I'm built, I was built and made and formulated in a culture that's about convenience and right now, and I don't have time, and I live and I worship a culture. Some, some, I don't worship culture, but I live and am built and, and work in a culture where busy is God and where if our schedule is busy, then we're productive and, and we're just better at our jobs, and, and I don't have time for this. And so trying to force seeking the presence of God into our schedule is man it's tough the the whole bible is surrounded around the separation between god and people it's not because god went somewhere 
It's because the people regularly refuse to seek his presence, whether it's because of ourself or pride or schedule or busy or sin. We would just rather do those things than actually take the work to stand or to seek the presence of God. So, so let me ask you this. What stands in the way between you and seek, listen, this is an active thing to do, to seek God's presence. What stands in your way? Is it desire? Maybe you're just like, right now, dude, I don't want to. I have no desire to seek God's presence. Maybe it is time. Man, I, I get home from work. Then I spend my time with my kids. We, we eat dinner. We get ready for bed. And, man, I, I'm just beat. Maybe you're uncomfortable with it. I grew up in a, in a church culture. We didn't seek the presence of God because it might get charismatic. And we, if there's two things in a traditional church you don't want to do, you don't want to sin and you don't want to be charismatic. And so we were just like so fearful of that. It's like that's, that's what they say. That's not what us, you know, we don't say that. And so it's like we just, uh, we'll just pray. But, but praying is about the who, not the what. So maybe you're just uncomfortable with it. Maybe it's pride. Hey, fellas, maybe it's masculinity. Maybe it's just that's what women do. We don't, that's just not what, like it's uncomfortable. Hey, guys, I, I want to commend you. You're here. Men who are leading your family, keep it up. Hey, I see you struggling with, like, with keeping up with the words of the songs, but you're trying. Man, I see you with your Bible open. I, I see you with leading yourself and, and leading your family. That's all great. But the one thing you've got to do the most is seek the presence of God. It is the one thing that will keep giving. Um, uh, a, a couple, a couple years ago, uh, I worked at a Bible college, and um, th that's one of the coolest places ever. I mean, you want to talk about, well, it's one of the weirdest places ever, and all my Bible college people are like, yes, that is so true. It is so weird, but uh, it's so cool and rejuvenating for me because there were men and women who just sought God's presence, and every now and then, I was the campus minister for men and, and part of student life, and so I'd have men come to my office, and, and they say, um, Dude, I, I just, I don't know, I, I'm just not hearing God. He's just not speaking to me. Um, a lot of you know that I, I like to spend some time at Brewed Downtown Coffee Shop here in town, and, and I like to get some work done. But now I've, I've gotten to know so many people in there. I, I'm really introverted, so it's weird for me. But I, I, get, I got to know, like, a lot of people, and so uh, I've, I've got a lot of relationships in there. So I can't really, like, work on my sermon or, or do, like, real hard, thoughtful things, which everything is really hard and thoughtful for me. But, like, emails and, and stuff like that, I'll, uh, you know, reading Clemson football articles, whatever. I'll, I'll do all that in there. So I'm, I'm sending emails uh, probably to you about some, some stuff or, or whatever, working on the website, and um, I had my headphones in. Now, headphones in... In a coffee shop is the international sign for leave me alone. Um, and so if you want to know how to not talk to people in a coffee shop, put your headphones in. You don't even have to listen to anything. But it's the national, international sign. Everyone knows this for don't talk to me because I am working. 
Well, apparently, this certain day, there's a guy behind me uh, who everyone who goes to this coffee shop knows him. And he's trying to talk to me because he doesn't see my headphones in. And so he's having a conversation with me behind my back. And I don't know because he's behind my back and I have the international sign in. And so I am just going at it. I'm spending some time with God like I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working. And then all of a sudden, I feel this dude take my headphones out of my ears. Hello, don't you know international sign language? This is not a thing you do. So he takes my headphones out of my ears. And so, okay, I'm pretty patient. I know this guy. We've, we've talked before. So he sits down and I'm like, I close my stuff. I'm ready to let this guy like pour out his heart and his whole life because I Obviously, that's what's going to happen because you just broke the international code of leave me alone. And so I'm ready. Say a silent prayer. Lord, help me. Give me strength. And the guy wants to tell me about his new John Deere trailer he bought. And he painted. And he's got to level it out. And he's got to get it right because it doesn't hold a certain payload. And I was just like, cool. Can I put my headphones back in? He just wanted to hang out. He just wanted to spend time talking and enjoy some company. Hey, if you want to hear from God, take your headphones out. If you want to hear from God, you got to stop and intentionally try to hear from God. And sometimes it's just to enjoy his company. I thought about this um, just as a couple practical things you can do tomorrow to put this into practice to, or put into practice what we learned today. And here are a couple things. When it comes time to pray, look, limit the distractions. Whatever that means for you, go into a room, close the door. Maybe it is putting your headphones in and listening to music or, or, um, or putting on like a noisemaker fan app so you're not thinking about anything. Turn the television off. Put your phone in the other room. Close your computer, your laptop, no emails. Uh, but limit the distractions. You need help listening to God or, or, or starting this conversation. Uh, start by not saying anything. Some of the most powerful prayer times, it just starts by listening. Just being still and realizing who you're talking to, the king who's your father. If you're regimented, if you have a busy schedule, block out time and protect it as if it were a meeting, as if it were something you cannot get away from because it is something that we absolutely have. Look, prayer is pointless if we're not seeking the presence of God. Prayer is absolutely useless if we are not like obsessed with the who. If we're only obsessed with the what, it's an ATM machine, some spiritual drive-through. And so block out time, pr protect it. Here's the last thing. It doesn't have to be long. I mean, you, you've heard some really long prayers. You've, you've, you, you know, I, I remember growing up in church where the guys would pray, and it was just like, you knew you wanted that guy to pray because it was short, and if that guy prayed, just get ready. Look, it doesn't have to be like that. It's got to be meaningful, but it doesn't have to be long. Remember, we're seeking relationship over religion. Here, here's the last thing um, is trust. For a relationship to work, you, you've got to talk. For a relationship to work, you've got to spend time with each other. 
And you also have to trust each other. You ever think about all the people you trust every day that you don't know? How about the people who make your food at the restaurant? You're trusting that they're going to do it well and not do something weird to your cheeseburger. Uh, how about the people that drive in the other lane? You're trusting that they're not falling asleep, they're not drunk behind the wheel, or they're not going to swerve over into your lane. You trust your neighbors that they'll be polite and uh, not, I don't know, play music, whatever. You trust your neighbors to, to, um, to be good neighbors. But do you trust God with the decisions of your life? Do you trust the, the, the king, your father, um, with whatever decisions he makes for you? Elijah certainly did. Um, so does my daughter, Sadie. My, my daughter is four. She'll be five next month. And uh, we laugh when she prays because her prayers last forever. So my wife and I are in the hallway like, hey, who's saying prayers with Sadie? I don't know. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I'm trying to go to bed before midnight. Sadie, it's the sweetest thing because she'll say, God, thank you for my family and thank you for my friends and thank you for my mom and thank you for my dad and thank you for my dolls and thank you for my doorknob and thank you for my cup holder and my cup and thank you for my car seat and God, thank you for the light and God, thank you for, and it's like, baby, he gets it. <laughs> He gets it. You're, you're thankful. And so we'll try to wrap it up. We'll try to speed it up, you know. And, uh, and God, thank you for the carpet. And God, thank you for my dog. And God, thank you for the trees in the backyard. And so we will say, and in Jesus' name, we pray. And she's like, I'm not done. <laughs> and then at the end, she will say, uh, and God, keep us safe tonight and help us to not have any bad dreams. And then we pray. Like my daughter has some ceaseless praise, ceaseless thanks to God. And then she asks him, uh, will you keep us safe? Will you protect us? Not let us have any bad dreams. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Uh, also anoint Jehu, uh, anoint Elisha. Uh, verse 17, Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Do you hear what God told Elijah to do? Like, th this is tough. Go back the way you came. You mean to go back the way where, where they're trying to kill me? Oh, okay. See, there's a promise that God made to Elijah that Elijah didn't even know about. There are still 7,000 people, Elijah, that, that I'm holding out. There are still 7,000 people who worship me, Elijah. There are still 7,000 people that you don't know about that I have reserved, and you will get to them, you will get to meet them. But don't worry about it, Elijah. Let me handle it. Do you trust me? Here's the thing. God knew. God knew what was going to happen with the drought. God knew that King Ahab was going to try to kill Elijah. He knew that when he sent Elijah back that he would face the prophets. God knew how the battle was going to go on Mount, uh, on Mount Carmel. God knew that Elijah was going to flee to Mount Horeb into Moses' spot. He knew that Elijah was going to go into a dark depression. And he knew that he would run to someone else's mountain. Look, God knew 
There are typically three answers that we'll hear from God in our prayers. Yes, no, and maybe later. I'm always down with yes. I'm okay with no. I hate maybe later. The question is, do, do you trust him? But God knows. He knows about the cancer that you don't know about yet. He knows about the infidelity. God knows about the loss. He knows about the pain. God knows your whole future even though you don't. God knows your past and he knows your right now. He also knows. He knows about the miracle. He knows that you'll overcome. He knows about the faith that you'll exude, the depression you'll overcome. He, he knows that he'll get to show off in your life. If you'll talk to him, if you'll spend time with him in seeking his presence, if you'll trust him. Because this is not a religion that God wants you to carry out. This isn't a ritualistic formula. It's a relationship. A relationship that, that requires communication and desire and trust. One of the last books of the Bible is James, and it says this. Chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing, sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. God knows. And the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, see, God, God knows, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. This week, today, tomorrow, will you find a new way to speak with God? Will you allow him to speak with you? Will you seek his presence? Let's pray.